1: Waveland podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney of the Athletic. Uh, a couple gents who wrote a fantastic piece this week. Huh? Eh? Huh? Eh? Good job, guys. <laughs> oh, Good job, job doing a little, uh, little off season. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that piece and and dig in a little bit more. Um, which is not to say I'm recommending you like stop this podcast right now and go read it, but you may want to, you know, it's good. It's, um, (laughs) basically Sadov and Patrick wrote about the Cubs off season through the lens of internal available trade chips, essentially. And sort of talking about guys that realistically could be dealt, what the value situation would look like guys that just aren't going to be dealt. And so we wanted to expand on that a little bit here in podcast form. So uh, I don't know. Like, this is normally where I would uh, throw it over to you, Sahadev, <laughs> But I haven't really set anything up yet. So I'm totally putting you on the spot to actually set up <laughs> the first part of what we're going to discuss. All right, go. Uh,
2: yeah, well, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, just thinking about the Cubs trade chips, uh, two guys that I feel like are valuable and have a chance to be traded and I'm not saying they're the ones that I'd focus on as far as the number one pieces that uh Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein will dangle this uh, this winter but Wilson Contreras and Craig Kimbrel I find as the two most interesting players pieces that the Cubs could potentially trade this offseason. Uh, Wilson, as we laid it out, this is—I mean—he is one of the best catchers in the game. I know his offensive numbers weren't up to snuff overall, but he was—it was a two-month season. He was seems like he was starting to find his rhythm. The guy worked his butt off to completely change the narrative around his catching uh style like he's a good framer now that we we don't need to uh you know wring our hands about oh he's such a good offensive guy how is he ever going to you know framing is a real uh is a real thing and it really matters and he's terrible at it uh, that's not something that needs to be discussed anymore he found his style that works for him uh, for as long as there's going to be umps you can kind of assume that he'll be a solid framer at worst uh well, can as we... long as he doesn't get hurt and you know screw yeah. up
1: some that that ability to do that right like uh, yeah injuries i just wanted can... to i'm gonna sure. punch in on that just to, to for two two things on that for context for everyone one is that Um, Framing statistics stabilize much faster than other uh, stats that you used to because there are so many pitches in a game. So although this past season was a very small sample for most things, it actually was not a super small sample for framing. So actually, even if our eyes didn't tell us it, uh, the data would tell us pretty convincingly that Contreras didn't simply go from terrible to average. He went from terrible to among the best in the game. And I think that's it's really important to highlight. And then two, what Sahadev was alluding to there is that framing is, as long as you keep your health, uh, it is one of those skills that stays with you pretty consistently. We don't see, once you sort of um, cross that threshold into being a capable framer, it's very rare that it just leaves you. In fact, the only guy I can think of is Jonathan Lucroy. uh, And that was injuries. I didn't know what the, what the deal was like with the injured wrist or something or like, what's an injury. Uh, I think
2: he, he, didn't he have like significant, like he had some, I can't even remember what the injuries were, but he had enough injuries that it, it made it feel like, I think he also had uh why like my brain's not working, but it's
1: yes. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) one, maybe I, it happened in tandem with his offensive fault. Like both things fell off the cliff at the same time, which does track with it being injury related. But anyway, circling back to this point is, you know, at, 27 28 29 if a guy establishes himself as a quality framer historically it isn't a skill that sort of vacillates extremely year to year it's like if you're good you're good so he's likely to stay very good again as long as umpires are still a thing
2: and we've seen what he can do on offense he's one of the better offensive catchers in the game and you also know that uh you know he's 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 shown i think the fact that he improved the framing, shows how hard he'll work to correct any flaws. Uh, he's got, uh, but these are also reasons to keep him, right? He's got that sort of edge. He, he clearly has a sense of urgency about him that that makes him want to work hard and become the best player he can be. Uh, that's exactly what Theo Epstein is looking for from the rest of this core. Uh, he's not, that he's not doing it, uh, I mean, that he is doing those things makes you wonder, do you move on from him? But it's a position of strength for the organization. Miguel Amaya's knocking on the door. Uh, Victor Caratini is a very capable backup. And if you look at the rest of the, the organization, that's a strength. Catcher. Up and down the organization. They have a lot of catching depth. You never know how those guys are going to develop. I'm not saying Miguel Amaya could just take over and become an all-star and be as good as as Wilson Contreras. But those are all things that I think of when, when I think of a quality trade piece. And, and Wilson Contreras is certainly an intriguing guy that could get you a very nice haul Two more years remaining on that contract Kimbrel is a very different situation where because I, I wonder about how much people will be willing to ma- pay that contract uh the AAV I believe is less than the 16 million per owed it's 16 million for next year and uh an it's 14 option.
1: AAV is 14 I think
2: Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a less So I wonder how much that plays. He's around a guy like Melanson or Kenley Jansen Chapman. That's like, that's what those guys cost, but we're also entering a very different winter. So who knows, but uh, uh, people are going to say, well, what about his performance? He was one of the best relievers in baseball after those first four outings. Everyone's going to point to the blown save against the Reds. That was his one hiccup after he figured out his his uh mechanics, he didn't give up a run outside of that Reds game. He was a dominant reliever, he was striking out over 50% of the batters he faced. Uh, that Reds outing was clearly something was off because that was his only multi-walk outing. The walks were even down. Guys had like an OPS below 350 against him. He was absolutely nasty, pitching in the upper 90s. Looked like the guy that was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Uh, I think if you look at his career, you can say that 19 was uh, a messed up season for him where he was got a late spring training or no spring training and was hurt a lot. And then this year, it was just about finding getting back in that mechanical rhythm. And once he did, he showed what he can be. I, I think that is a huge selling point for them. Uh, if they're looking to go all in on 2021, which I don't think is what they're trying to do, uh, then you keep them, right? But if you're trying to extend this window and make sure that you have more pieces to contend in 2022 and beyond, then then you look to move this guy. You look to find a guy, a, a team that's desperate for a bullpen help, desperate for a closer, whatever it is, and see if you can leverage that and 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 add some quality prospects. If it costs a couple million, whatever it may cost. I don't know if the Cubs are willing to do that yet. I just don't know yet, but I I do believe it's worth it in the long term if you can get the right pieces back.
3: Yeah, we had looked at, just to kind of eliminate things or get a better sense of it, we looked into Kimbrell's no trade and confirmed that limited protection is being phased out. So if they want to deal him, he really has no say in it. Jason Hayward, even in the 60-game season, did reach that full 10-5 and no trade rights so uh inevitably I feel like Brett there's like some rumor that pops up of hey maybe the Giants want Jason Hayward and then there's this like a couple hours on Twitter where people like do the math or whatever like (laughs) Jason Hayward controls his own destiny and we have absolutely no indication that he would ever want to leave the Cubs uh he does what The Cubs, the Cubs value what they know he will bring to the table. I think that's the way Sahadev framed it. The offense was a nice bonus. Let's not go down that road. And then, uh, Brett, I'd be curious to get your take on that. this, but you uh, Darvish, his full no trade is uh, being phased out. He can uh, block a deal to 12 teams heading into this offseason. Uh, I think we both agreed that the Cubs see him as a building block, Uh, I don't think it really makes sense to get rid of him if you think you're going to be a good team uh, and you're not going to bottom out and, you know, go on another five-year rebuilding plan. And that kind of Hendricks, Darvish, and Happ were kind of the guys that we took off the table of, like, this doesn't really make sense if you want to be a consistently competitive team, which is what ownership has told Jed and Theo.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: You, Darvish, is an interesting one when you have these conversations about trade ships and about a team like the Cubs where um, it sounds like we all agree that the Cubs, if they had their druthers, they wouldn't be pushing all in for 2021. I think we also agree that they may not have much of a choice in the matter, depending on how these, these sort of trade talks uh, work out. But we knew it last year. We know it again this year. They, they would prefer to smooth the transition from this group to the next and not have this uh, cliff threatening them at the end of 2021 where everybody's contractual control runs out and the talent and the farm system isn't there to, to backload that. So, um, or backfill it, I should say. So, here's the problem though when it comes to trade talks where you're trying to add for the future and smooth these transitions the only guys that you're going to be able to trade to add that value are guys who have value for your team too and so you talk about a you darvish and it's very easy um, both because of his magnificent season because of the way he works and i think you can say he's a, a decent bet to age well And the cubs have him for another three years you'd say, well, you know, there's no need to trade him. Why would they trade him? He's going to be part of the next few years. Well, fine, but he's a guy who has a ton of value. And that's kind of the, that's almost the same um, Sisyphean problem the Cubs have dealt with the last few years with their offensive core. It's like at every moment when someone showed huge value and could have been traded, there's like, well, but they're part of the answer for the next few years, so let's not. And then the next year they their value went down. And it's like, well, we would trade them now, but uh, they're coming off a down year. And so none of that is to say, go trade you Darvish. I, I am of the of the thinking that no, he's he actually is a guy that that's good to keep. I also think that for as um attractive as his he made his contract uh, over the last year and a half in an abstract sense. Like now it's looking like a steal of a contract in the current environment right now. I'm not actually sure that's true. I'm not actually sure there are more than a handful of teams that would just, you know, flat out add his contract right now. Like, I think that's how dire things potentially could be. And so, um, you know, to me, there are more good reasons to hang on to him than to trade him for a marginal return. But I think more broadly, it just calls to mind the challenge of this, this conversation that we've had now for three years running. It's like, you could only, if you're trying to actually impact the organization, you can only trade the guys who you want to keep. Cause those are the ones that are going to have value. Cause the Cubs don't have a ton of redundancy where it's like, well, you know, they've got two guys at the same spot that both have a ton of value. And Oh, we, you know, they already did that when they traded like Jorge Soler, that they already did that. And in that time has passed.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the only, you make a good point that you have to kind of weigh this uh, back and forth of you know do you move the guys that have value? Do you keep the guys that have value? Like how do you decide who to keep and who to move? And uh, I guess you know if you can find a team that's going to offer you uh, high, highly thought of prospects that are on the verge or or young controllable players that are just that just hit uh, you know the majors uh for you darvish then maybe you consider it i just don't see that happening right like i mean there are teams that uh uh in theory could be pretty desperate for a world series the yankees and dodgers uh have a chance to be going into the offseason the yankees we know and the dodgers have a chance to be going into the offseason still looking for a world series pretty desperate and they're probably going to have some starting pitching needs right there's a chance and they'll have uh, some pieces to move I just don't think that that's, uh, I think that's kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't, I think that's kind of fantastical to think that they're going to uh, offer you something that, that really is uh, worthwhile. Uh, you know, I'd love to see the, the Dodgers offer, you know, Dustin May and, and Gavin Locks for you, Darvish. But that's not going to happen. You know, Cubs fans would love that. But that's not a reality. That's just not something that'll happen. They have plenty of talent. They have other guys that would be very interesting, sure. And I could name a ton of prospects that would make a ton of sense for the Dodgers to offer, uh, for the Cubs to want. I just don't see the Dodgers, uh, you know, giving some godfather offer to the Cubs. I don't see the Yankees doing that. In all likelihood, both of those teams will still just leverage their finances, even though they're not as... uh, looking as good as they were you know nine months ago right so uh i I think that's that's the underlying thing about this entire offseason is the financial situation of every team uh where every team is going to be i think we're starting to hear more news trickle out today about uh employees being furloughed or laid off across baseball it's a that you know we we talk all about these trades like so I just don't know what the financial situation is going to be for each individual t- team. So everything that we talk about, that's the ultimate thing that hangs over these discussions that it's, it's really hard to see how, how things uh, are, how teams can maneuver. And the Cubs are in this weird situation right now that they've kind of been in for a couple off seasons. And it just gets even more complex with, uh, with everything that we're dealing with.
3: Remember after the Cubs won that wild card game in Pittsburgh, I saw a bunch of Pirates players, I think like Pedro Alvarez like sitting at a Southwest terminal in the Pittsburgh airport, and that felt like the Pirates were done, it was over, that window was closing, and I don't want us to like fall into this trap of thinking like the Cubs are the pirates in 2015 like they're going to have a ton of money coming off the books eventually fans will come back to Wrigley Field they've spent years talking about marquee network and how much money and how many wheelbarrows are going to be you know uh, eventually uh rolling through the offices and they got once... the bears now so but, yeah they got you know like... a bears highlight show so um you know side mentioned the Yankees and the Dodgers and they've found ways to continually retool and put out a good product on the field Uh, I get the Cubs not wanting to become kind of the Phillies after whatever was maybe 2011 uh the Tigers obviously went for it uh and have not come back to that point or anywhere close to playoff contention but I don't know the Cubs aren't the Tigers the Cubs aren't the Pirates and I think that uh you know, thread the needle is certainly going to be the buzzword again this year. And I just wonder, I'm really curious kind of what the rest of the baseball industry thinks of these Cubs hitters after, like, listening to Theo talk about this broken offense for three years running. Uh, I think everyone understands this is a really strange season, um, so that maybe we don't make, you know, harsh judgments off Javi Baez, but... I don't know, this frustration has been compounded for years and years, and we've been writing about it for years and years. And I'm just wondering, outside of maybe Contreras, uh, I'm just not sure how many teams are going to be like, you know, constantly texting Jed and Theo being like, I want your players, even though uh, Brett's point I think is well said from a previous episode of Theo's uh, kind of Marketing of the one year deal and how it's a truism in baseball that great players on one year deals are always a great value. I'm just not sure how many teams uh, are going to kind of blow the Cubs away with an offer for Chris Bryant this winter.
1: Uh, yeah, so I was, um, you know, I know that we'll come back to this a lot, but it's, um, I, I think about these guys, the, the one year guys, and you, you discussed a lot of them in the, the trade chip piece that again, folks should check out at the athletic.com. Um, and you think about Chris Bryant and I, I think you guys, um, sort of framed it this way too. If Chris Bryant were a free agent today and he said, I only want to sign a one year deal. That's just what I want for next year. What is the market going to bear? And uh, I think we'd be dishonest if we told you we could say for sure we know in a normal market. You know, like let's, let's, if we could take away the financial uncertainty, uh, even coming off a weird season like this, I bet I could tell you. I bet I could say on a one year deal at his age, um, you know, you look at some similar guys who've done that, trying to bounce back, like Josh Donaldson when he signed with the Braves. Um, I think Bryant's probably getting in that 24, 26 million range on a one-year deal. I think that's, I think that's a pretty fair estimate. Um, now, here's the thing, though: through arbitration, he's gonna get probably 20 to 22 million. I know people will scream and cry and be like, "How is he getting a raise on his 18.6 million when he had this terrible season?" Well, that's the way the system is. He's getting paid in part for that but in part for his many many great years before that um and so in this environment the question is you know would he get 22 million on a one-year deal in free agency i'm not sure he would and if he wouldn't then it's like i don't know that he has a ton of surplus trade value as a guy who's going to have that one more year of arbitration and if that's the case and this this is my circuitous way to get to my point on a lot of these one-year guys i wonder if what we're going to see is the cubs and other teams exploring some of those uh what are they called like a a real baseball trade kind of deals instead of the sort of the obvious sell a player for prospects right we've gotten very used to that but instead of that i wonder if what we're going to see the cubs is trying to put trying to be a little more creative and put together deals that accomplish uh some of that bridging post 2021, but maybe not for like impact prospects. Cause you're not going to get those guys anyway, but maybe it's for like a guy who's in arbitration himself, but is a little more expensive, maybe a little more warts or two pieces that fill a couple of holes. And I-, I think that that I wouldn't be surprised if around baseball, we see more of that thinking as well, because hell we talk about trying to figure out what free agents are going to cost and, and tendering guys and all that. How do you value prospects right now? Didn't, didn't prospect values just go way the hell up in an environment where cost-controlled players are way more valuable because nobody has any money? Well, yeah, but it's also
2: we don't know, like, some of those lower-level prospects that didn't get a chance to develop. We don't even know where they stand so there's a, lot, like, there's a lot of complicating factors with prospects, too. I mean, scouts didn't get to watch any of these guys that were working at the alternate sites, right? Nobody saw how good or bad Miguel Amaya and Brennan Davis did, except for the Cubs. So we're going off what the Cubs say about them, right? Everything that you're going to read, everything that, like, I'll have a piece coming out Friday, it's all from the Cubs' point of view. Like, I, I'm not talking, I don't get to talk to other scouts that watched Brennan Davis and Miguel Amaya and all those guys, guys over the course. Of uh, of the minor league season because that's what I normally do I normally blend the two together well the Cubs are saying this and this is what I'm hearing and there's nobody there's nobody else giving opinions there so so we have to kind of so that that throws a little uh, wrench into the things and then there's also just I mean. I think you're I think you're right that they're going to have to be creative in moving a guy like Bryant. You you were 100% right about the Donaldson comp. That's exactly what you said that before you went, got to Donaldson, I started looking up how much Donaldson was paid for that one year cuz he did not he did not seem like he would make that, but he did, right? On a one-year deal, you can you can do that. Take that risk. I mean, I think there'll be a team looking to take that risk with Chris Bryant, but what does that mean in return? I think that means that the Cubs are going to have to take some sort of risk as well, and they're going to have to be very selective and find the right type of player and and really hope that their pro scouts nail this. Because I think it is going to be a package that nobody as far as Cubs fans outside of those that are just done with Chris Bryant will be satisfied with if this gets done. Uh, But it, it's, it has to be creative and it has to be something that they specifically identified, some characteristics that they identified that they're going to try and extract and maximize.
3: I mean, something more creative than, you know, another pitcher from the Padres farm system or like another deal with the Rangers. Uh, I like Brett's idea there of you know, major league pieces for major league pieces and the Cubs simply have to be right that uh, the genesis of this story was in part John Greenberg uh, suggesting it and also kind of what we had talked about on this podcast of, you know, the Luis Valbuenas and the Tommy is like guys that they acquired who we never really heard of before but did something different and could help kind of change the dynamics uh for this offense and i think that's what they'll be working on all off season and i I can't imagine how long this off season is going to feel because everyone's probably going to be using economics as like an excuse and every front office is kind of risk averse and looks at everything the exact same way so we'll probably still be talking about this in like late january early february but i think this is a good start
1: all right, um i agree on that good start to the off-season talk for this this particular conversation and we will get back on that later this week uh with you folks here on onto waveland you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts rate and review us and you can read sahadev's and patrick's great work at the athletic and you can read my stuff at bleacher nation again this is onto waveland thank you so much for listening and we'll be back at you soon take care